Well, this is indeed a very wonderful and glorious day in the life of the church, as this is really what it's all about. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we also will rise from the dead, and we also have hope in the face of death. Hope in the face of tragedy and sorrow and difficulties of every kind. We can look at it, and as we look at it, our hope is that he has conquered already. He's risen, and so too will we. And that's our, that is what we place our confidence and trust in. This morning, we're, as we look at the scriptures, we're actually not going to be looking at one particular text. We're going to be looking at several, quite a few. So... In light of that, we're actually going to do something a little different. We're, we're not going to be looking at, at our Bibles. I'm, I've got them on the screen, and I guess the projector is going to project them for us. And we'll see how this works out. Hopefully, there's, uh, it, it's something that is actually beneficial to us all to see. And because uh, what we're going to do is actually going to start in Genesis and work our way all the way through. So if you've never read the Bible before, there you go. <laughs> no, it just might feel like that. Anyways, let's, let's seek the Lord's blessing, and, and we'll get, get into it. Father, we thank you so much for this glorious and wonderful day that we remember that on this day, our Lord Jesus, he broke the bonds of death, conquering in sin, abolishing death, and granting life and life eternal to all those who would believe. We praise you for this truth and this reality, and we, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to believe it even more firmly, that you would grant this morning us eyes to see the glories, the goodness, the promises, that we would indeed be greatly encouraged, that you would, O oh Lord, strengthen our faith deeply. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you saw the movie this week? I think it just came out this week, The Case for Christ. Uh, I went and saw it, and if you have, how many of you have heard of, how many of you have heard of it, that it came out? Okay. A movie came out. There's a f- fair amount of you had not heard it came out, and it was called The Case for Christ, and what it's about is this man it's a true story about his life. His name's Lee Strobel. He actually wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and it's based on that, and it's his story. And man, was it well done. I'll just tell you this. You have to go. It was not cheesy at all, even in the slice. Yeah, it, <laughs> you're a little nervous about the cheese factor, and, but they did an amazing job, really well acted. And I tell you what, you should go, and then after watching it and becoming convinced... Try to find every non-believer you know to go with because it's that well done. It's really good, and I, I think it, it could be powerfully used in people's lives. And it actually, the reason I actually went is because I thought, this might inspire me for the sermon, do something on the resurrection. But I thought, you know, no, just go see the movie. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to take that angle because I think they did a great job of it. But here's this morning what I want us to do is I want us to come away from this experience hopefully with our faith encouraged and, and our faith strengthened. And that as we look, what we're going to do this morning, we are going to look at Jesus, but from a little different perspective. We're going to look at what he came to do as dying on the cross and raising again from the dead, but we're going to take a little different angle. We're going to go from the beginning and see how this was indeed spoken of and promised by God from thousands of years prior to it ever happening. 
There's nothing like this in the history of mankind. There's nothing like this. There's no book on the planet that's like the Bible. There's no place that's prophesied with anywhere in any text of any, any book of, a, of someone coming to do what he did with such specific detail and Jesus actually doing it. Folks, this stuff is real. It's as, it's as real as this, this pulpit is here right now. It's, it happened in history, in time. The resurrection is a fact. It is a fact. And I think that when we look at what God has promised and we see how he's unfolded this promise and what he's done and how he delivered and, and what, he, what he did for us, I pray that God would grant strengthening of our faith that we would say yes and amen, and our hearts would be glad because we indeed have believed. So, let's get started. I want us to begin with the prophecies concerning the promised son that would come. There was a son of man that was to be come, and he, the son was going to do something. And as we'll see in these promises, this starts 4,000 years ago, at the, uh, prior to Jesus' actual coming, 4,000 pr- years prior to that, in Genesis, God makes a promise. And, it, and we're going to walk through these promises of this one that's to come and what he's to be like. And then we're also going to walk through the promises of what he, of what he actually did, that he was going to die on the cross. And then we're going to walk through the promises about him raising from the, rising from the dead. So here, in Genesis, so hopefully this works, Genesis 3.15... There we go. It worked. <laughs> God is speaking to the devil here because man had just sinned, and the devil lied to him, deceived him, tempted him, him and her, Adam and Eve. And this is what God says to the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you. You see that? I will put enmity between you and the woman, the you referring to the devil and the woman, and between your offspring, the devil's offspring, and her offspring. He, this one from the offspring of the woman, this he, this he that you see there, he shall bruise your head, he shall bruise Satan's head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of a deliverer, someone who would crush. But God promises a son who would come. A son would be born from this woman, from her offspring. And yet, she has many sons. And what's the one thing you notice throughout history with these sons? They're failures. They're the ones who get crushed. The only crushing that's happening is Satan's crushing all, his, all her sons. And then it gets so bad that we get to Noah, and Noah, he's, he's the one last one left, basically, and he's questionable. And God delivers Noah, and God goes, and then he crushes the world. And he, has to, he starts all over again because God, it's, it gets so bleak. God doesn't mind going, taking us into darkness, does he? It gets bleak. It gets dark. Oh, no, there's no way this promise is ever going to be fulfilled. How could it? Man is in utter ruin. But no, God has a plan. So through Noah, Noah God continues to do great things. But then about 1,900 years later, after this promise in Genesis... Abraham comes along, and God reveals himself to Abraham, and this is what God tells Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen. 18. Here's now the, the second great promise about, this, about a son. In your offspring, or in other, some translations say seed, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
because you have obeyed my voice. Now, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through this a son he's going to be given. And Abraham was given this promise when he was in his 70s. But God, like God does, he waits. Now, that's not impossible enough. He waits till Abraham's 99 years old, and then they give him the son of promise, Isaac. Well, him and Sarah are ancient, about ready for the grave. And he says, okay, is it impossible? In our minds, we think there's no way it's possible. And what does God do? God gives a son, the son of promise. He gives Isaac. However, Isaac wasn't the offspring that he's referring to. Through, him, through Isaac comes the one, but Isaac wasn't the one. He didn't crush the serpent's head. He, didn't, he isn't the one who's, who ends up blessing all nations, but through him, this happens. And so, 200 plus years later, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob comes along at the end of his days, and he's blessing his sons on his deathbed. And he said to his son Judah in, uh, this in Genesis 49.10. In Genesis 49.10, he says, as he's blessing Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So here we're told that through the line of Judah, rulers will come, which happened with David who's of the line of, in the tribe of Judah, and through his sons. The kingdom comes through that line, and it was firmly established. That's historical fact. But ultimately, through these rulers, Shiloh was going to come. Now, what's interesting is the name Shiloh means the peaceful one, the one of peace. This one of peace was going to come. Well, then a few hundred years later, God says this to Moses in Deuteronomy eighteen nineteen. I will rise up for, for, for them a prophet like you among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So a prophet's going to show up. This prophet we know is going to be a son. The son is, is it's the same person, but we're finding out different things about him. Now we know that he's actually going to be a prophet. And then about 500 years pass, and King David comes on the scene. David comes on the scene. He's the first of the rulers of the line of Judah, he fulfills the promise given hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Jake, through Jacob. And yet now God does something through this David, King David. He speaks a promise to him. He says one more thing. He says this in 2 Samuel seven twelve through 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up, for your, off, off, up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this one is going to come from David, through David, through David's line. And what's interesting is that this one, this, this particular king is going to be eternal. So a son is going to be born of David. He's going to be eternal. He's going to establish the kingdom forever. He's going to sit on the throne forever. There will be no end to it. And after this, the prophets continue to speak and disclose some more details about this Son, who's going to be born? Especially Isaiah. Much is said in Isaiah, and I'll, I can't read them all, but I'll give you this one, a couple in particular. Isaiah seven fourteen says, "Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, the virgin shall, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Now, of course, we know about we hear about this one at Christmas all the time. So, a virgin 
It's, it's going to be, now we have a specific detail about the son. It's going to come from a woman, the line that's pr- promised in Genesis, right? From the seed of the woman. But this woman now is going to be a virgin. And she'll bear a son. She'll call his name Emmanuel. And then we have Isaiah 6, sorry, 9, 6 through 7, which says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, hosts will do this. So now we've got about 3,000 3, years have passed. And all these promises have been building up. And these details about the son, a son is going to be born. He's going to be born of a woman. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born of the King David. He's going to be born of the line of Abraham. He's going to be born through Isaac. All these details and these promises. And then there's even this, there's even this in Micah 5.2. The place, it's prophesied where he'd be born. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth... For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from the ancient of days. His coming forth has been promised, has been foretold from the ancient of days, from the very beginning. This son, this son's going to become born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. Just think of it. What happens when Jesus shows up? When Jesus shows up, which all, all of history attests to, he shows up, he's born in Bethlehem to a virgin. He's of the line of Judah. He's, of the, he's, of, he's a son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the child of promise. The prophetic details for telling this son have all been fulfilled. It came together in Jesus marvelously and historically it happened. This is the great fulfillment of all that was anticipated. Jesus, for 4,000 years... The people of God are anticipating this promised one. That's a long time to wait for the promise. And if you follow God for a long time, you find sometimes that he takes a long time. But you always find him faithful. He always fulfills his promise. He likes to test his people. He likes to bring you to the edge. And what he wants to see is, will you trust me? Do you believe? Do you believe? Yes, Lord, it's hard because what I see with my eyes and what I feel in my heart is difficult at times, isn't it? But he's asking you, do you believe? Look at what I've done. Nowhere, nothing like this has ever been done in the history of mankind ever. Thousands of years, he's promising what will happen, and it happens exactly as he's promised it. The prophetic details are astounding. And here's what we have. After Jesus shows up, he he becomes a stumbling block to Israel. Because they don't recognize him. He doesn't have the credentials. He seems to be, grows up in Nazareth. Like, they, they didn't realize that anything good can come out of Nazareth. He doesn't look like somebody that you would esteem and exalt. He doesn't have, he's not trying to gain power at all. He doesn't deal with the Roman issue at all who are pressing them. He's a stumbling block to Israel because they they can't see it. 
They failed to see that the prophecies needed to be fulfilled about the Son of Man being crucified, dead, and buried, and they couldn't see it. Yet the most obvious one is this, right here. Bet you can't even read that, it's so small. <laughs> Testing your sight, maybe you can. But if they, should, if they read Isaiah 53 more carefully and realized this is Messiah, and that's clear, that's on the surface of it, Yet, what's this Messiah doing, and how does this work out? He suff- he's the suffering lamb for the people. It says here, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. So he grew up before him like this young little plant, unrecognized. Who recognizes a young little plant? Nobody. Young little plants are everywhere. He grows up, and there it is, un- almost unrecognizable. He had no majesty, form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him wasn't good looking there was nothing about him that had this glorious look like man you look like an angel sent from god are you from heaven no they didn't recognize him he's so plain he's so ordinary he's just he's not very good looking he's kind of homely it seems to indicate He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet, and this is what Israel did, they esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 700 plus years prior to it ever happening. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Now, man, is that not descriptive detail? That you can't, this is the one who's going to bring forgiveness to Israel. The rabbis knew this. This caused them fits because they couldn't figure out how could this one who's to come, this great Messiah, this deliverer, this warrior, this this king, this ruler who would sit on the throne of David and and, and, and usurp all of our enemies. How could this fit? Yet here it is. It stumbled over this. What is Jesus doing as he as he's suffering? As he's he sleeps out, he's put he sleeps on a rock at night. He doesn't even have a house. He has no address. He wears the same clothes day in day out. He look at him. He's kind of homely. Look, look, like what is going on? He's he's confused. He doesn't even say, and interact with the Roman rulers at all. Pilate at the end barely. They're stumbling over him. What is going on? His suffering servant. Yet God was working His wonderful plan. 
It was confusing, couldn't understand, yet God's working his wonderful plan. It, it doesn't make sense at times. And apart from uh, chapters 52 and 53 in Isaiah, which clearly speak of the suffering Messiah, who would save Israel from their sins, we also have many psalms where, which are replete with promises and specific details about Jesus' crucifixion and death. Throughout the Psalms, we see details about Jesus' rejection, persecution, triumphal entry, betrayal, his false accusation, his being mocked, his insults, his buffeting, scourging, and crucifixion, and many, many others. We're going to look at two quick examples here to see what I'm talking about. Psalm 22, 6 through 8. It says, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by a mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And this is exactly what was happening on the cross. Wagging their heads. Yeah, you, you who, 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 who have so much power, you who are from God, you who think you, you, you have all this, why don't you save yourself? They insult him. They wag their heads at him. And then it goes down in verse 12 through 18 and says this, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced, listen to this, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The details. Now, folks, David wrote this, and none of this happened to David. He is prophetically creating a song that Israel would sing, and that they would realize and know that when Messiah is going to come, this is what's going to happen to him. So listen to those details. Clearly, the experience of Jesus on the cross, piercing his hands and his feet. They divided his garments among them, and they cast lots for them. This happened in real time, in the details. And those words, written thousands of years, a thousand years prior to Jesus coming on the scene. One more example. I know that I told you there's a lot. Psalm 41 5 through 9. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not, listen to this, he will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend and whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Isn't that incredible? Prophesying his death, he's not going to rise again from where he lies. He's going to die. 
And then it says, even my close friend. It's prophesying Judas. It did everything but mention his name. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread at the Last Supper, has lifted his heel against me. Amazing. All this took place, all this, all this prophetic detail took place on w- most of what we just read in the last few minutes here, all took place on Good Friday. The Friday that just precedes Easter Sunday. And we call it good, not because it, what you hear, what you hear described there, is any of that good? Is that, that, there's nothing good about it. And if the story ended there, if that was it, this, that's the worst Friday in history. That's awful. That's ugly. That's nasty. He was hated, rejected, despised. He was pierced. He was nailed to a cross. He was rejected. His own good friend betrayed him. I mean, it was ugly on every account and every level. Every sin known to man, every ugly sin you or I have ever experienced, he felt in a, in a way that we never will because he takes the sin of the world upon him. The, sin, the sins that were happening against him. He didn't just take sin upon him. Sins were happening against him. Can you imagine how badly do you have to be sinned against to be like insulted and falsely accused, falsely accused, put on, on trial, and everyone's laughing and spitting on you and slapping your face, and you didn't do anything to deserve it. Your own friends are betraying you. They're whipping you, and they're, they're laughing at you. And worst of all, he created every one of them. He knit their brains together in the womb. The most horrific things you could imagine. But you know, whenever you feel pain in your life through relationships and what people do to you, you know, people, nobody can hurt you like people can. And when people say things and do things to hurt you, it hurts deeply, doesn't it? Now, Jesus felt that at a level that is uncomprehendable. But we call it Good Friday. And why? Because that's not the end of the story. Jesus rises from the dead. And God has promised this as well. I promise that he's not going to remain in death. He is going to conquer death. He's going to rise again from the dead. The promises are there as well. The scriptures speak of him. It's not just going to end there. And this is why we rejoice. And this is why we're, we're up here. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And we're all we're saying this is the centerpiece of the church. This is our life. This is glorious. It's so good. It's, this is Good Friday. Why is it Good Friday? Because Jesus paid for our sins and then he, and he died. Well, he, what? He, he, he suffered this horrible death and died in the most miserable way. And you call that Good Friday? Yes, because on Sunday he re- rose again from the dead. He's alive forevermore, giving life to the world. That's why it's Good Friday. So let's look at the prophecies fulfilled about the Son of Man rising from the dead. Psalms, again, ring this glorious truth. Psalm 16, 9 through 10 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Just so you know, Sheol is the place of the dead in the Bible. That's how the Bible describes. Where do the dead go? They go to Sheol. In Hebrew, 
uh, Hades. It's the place of the dead. He says, you will not abandon me. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, and you will not let the Holy One see corruption. What is he saying there? So he goes to Sheol, but he's not going to abandon him there. And not only that, he's not going to stay too long, because why? He's not going to allow him to see corruption. He's not, he's not going to decay, in other words. He's not going to deteriorate like everybody else does in the grave. If you're there too long, you get to day four, day five, it's, it starts to get ugly. But here we have David who penned this, who prophesied this in Psalm 16. Beautiful. That he's not going to allow his Holy One to see corruption. Here's the next one. Psalm 32 through 3, which declares, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. And you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Where did he bring up his life from? Sheol. Where was Jesus? In Sheol. Where is Sheol? It's the place of the dead. And he restored him to life. Beautiful. Clearly, this was not King David's experience. King David is in the grave And he remained in Sheol. He saw corruption. David was declaring and prophesying of his son who would come, who is also his Lord and God, and be raised from the dead. In addition to this, we have a couple of psalms, a couple more that that give us wonderful insight. Psalm 41, 7 through 10, which states, All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. They say he's not going to rise again from where he lies. Where does he lie? He lies in death. He went down to Sheol. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread, this is what we read earlier, who ate, uh, lifted a seal against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me. And this is what he says here. This is what I want you to realize. And raise me up. Raise me up. From where? From death. And that's exactly what God did. You know, clearly, the scriptures, especially, you know, it's amazing to me as I looked at this, how the Psalms are full of this stuff. The Psalms declare so much in detail about, if you just go read them and realize that sometimes it's confusing and you miss it, because you can't, you think it's talking about David, but it's talking about Jesus. Jesus is being revealed in there, and the suffering, and the details of his death, and the details of his resurrection, and Jesus, we know, Historically, he rose from the dead. Now, clearly, the son was come. A son was promised to come, do powerful things, to suffer, to die, and to rise again from the dead. This was promised hundreds and thousands of years prior. And this is what happened in Jesus. And this is what is also attested to by over 500 witnesses who saw him and say, we actually saw him. And disciples, we saw an empty tomb. And even this fact, this reality, gripped them to such depths and they understood it and believed it so deeply that they were willing to die for it. This, this particular fact and event of history is, is even recorded in, a, in, in actually other historical books besides the Bible. Josephus, I, many of you probably heard of him before, a Jewish historian, one of the most famous and respected Jewish historians. He's 
he was actually born between 37 and 38 AD and died after uh, died about 100 AD. And he wrote the works that remain to us to this day, two significant works, the Jewish wars and the much larger Jewish antiquities. And in them, he wrote, while he was in the Roman court, the emperor's inner circle. This guy was highly respected. So he's in the inner circle, the emperor's inner circle. And he, he is given commission to, to write histories. This is what he says in his Jewish antiquities. Now, there was a time... Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named for him, are not extinct at this day. And it's shocking, because they lit up Rome with their bodies being burned. Nero tried to wipe them out. It was so, literally, Rome was lit up. So many were being crucified and burned at the stake. So many Christians that it lit Rome up. He tried to wipe them out. And it's like, it's just remarkable that they actually just keep growing. How could this be? How could this be? You know, it's so funny to me that somebody, some people talk about you know, this is something that the, the disciples just made up. That there's, there's actually people who believe that they made up the story about him being taken from the grave, that the tomb was empty. Well, that's just the craziest thing ever. Because if you think about it, you know, nobody dies for a known scam. If you invented the scam, you know, you do that for your profit and your gain. Even people who are unstable never, they don't do, they don't lie and cheat and steal so that they would get crucified, so they get burned. Uh, they do it for, for even, even people who, there's people who will actually do crazy things um, in order to get the fame and attention. They do it to get attention. Even people commit suicide to get attention. Nobody does this craziness unless, you, you, you don't believe and know it's a scam and die for it. You, the only way you're going to do that is if you're absolutely convinced, you're, beyond a shadow of doubt, you, I saw him, I talked to him, he has risen from the dead. This is a fact, folks. It's a, it's a, there's just no other explanation for it. Every single one of the, the apostles was more than willing to die, and almost every single one of them did a horrible death, because they testified to Jesus being raised from the dead. And he's the, he is the son of God, the son of man, the king of heaven and earth. And they wouldn't give up on it. Even the Apostle Paul, who was a, who was a, zealot, a zealous Pharisee, who was putting Christians to death, he met the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he encountered him, and there's no explanation for what he was willing to suffer afterwards unless this man saw Jesus resurrected from the dead and Jesus spoke to him. Nobody goes from... Persecuting Christians 
to being persecuted for a scam. He met Jesus. Five times he was scourged, as we've looked at before. 39 lashes less one. That's like almost to death five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. In frequent dangers, as it, this is all from 2 Corinthians, from robbers, his own people, the Gentiles, and false brethren. He suffered sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, and cold, and exposure. And why? Why did he do that? Because he proclaimed that Jesus was the king who was risen from the dead. Do you think for a moment that Paul or the apostles or the thousands and millions upon millions of Christians throughout history would submit themselves to this kind of brutality if this was some made-up story? No, this is real, man. This is fact. Historical fact. That was prophesied in great detail and was fulfilled. Jesus is indeed the Son of Man, the Son of God, the King of heaven and earth. He indeed suffered and died under Pontius Pilate, was dead and buried, and he rose again on the third day. And he seated now, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And these, these facts can just be just, they can, we can hear them so much that they just bounce around in our heads. But we have to understand that there, this is actually real stuff. This happened in history. Promised by God. Attested to by thousands. What is left for us? What, is, what are we called to do? We're called to believe. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen, Jesus says. Because he knows that it's going to go throughout the world, and many are going to hear this right now. They're going to hear about these facts and events that happened in history. And upon hearing them, they believe them. And upon believing them, they are most blessed. Because they receive the promises. The promises are to you and to your children, and to as many who are far off, who will repent and believe, believe the promises. So as we believe, our hearts come alive. And what should be our response? Worship, praise, thanksgiving. We should say, yes, yes, Jesus lives so that I might live and live for eternity. So that you can look at the face of death, you can look at the face of crosses, you can look at the face of scourging, you can look at the face of of, of suffering of all kinds. You can look at it and you can smile at it because you know for a fact in history Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus did it not for himself but for his people. Oh death, where is your sting? Why can you face it? Why can you walk through this world which is your hell and suffer greatly? Because you know what is promised. You do it by faith, knowing what is coming. And to that, and to that end, we live and we praise Jesus because our king is conquered. We win. We walk around. We win. We win. So we walk around with, we win. But you're losing. No, we win. Yeah, sure there's suffering, sure there's sorrow, sure there's difficulty, sure there's hardships, and sure this life just beats the tar out of you. But we win! 
What can they do to us? It can only hurt us for a little while. This world can only buffet you for so long. Things can only happen to you for so long. You can only get so much. And at the end of the day, at the end of all of it, what do you have? Everlasting life eternal with our God. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Father, we thank you so much that we have resurrection life in Jesus. That Jesus indeed is risen from the dead. You did not leave him in Sheol. You did not leave him in the grave, but you raised him up. And he's seated now at your right hand forevermore. Oh, Lord God, I pray for every single person here that they would truly, they would lay hold of the truth and believe, and deeply in their hearts they would believe, and that their hearts would be encouraged, and that they would worship, they would sing, they would praise, they would delight in you because you have conquered, and we win because of it. Blessed be your name forever, Lord Jesus. And this we pray. Amen.